please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Christ by Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of joy. Other joy in God and in his son, Jesus Christ. Like, pe- like peace, joy is a gift from God. It overtakes us and fills us when we remember that God has done and what he has promised to do. We light this candle today to remind us that Christ came and is coming so that all people might have a rich and abundant life. We thank God for the hope he gives us, for the peace he bestows, and for the joy he pours into our hearts. Let us pray. O God of joy, Emmanuel. Send your light into our hearts at this time. Help us to be ready for the time of Christ appearing. Fix our hearts and our minds upon those you have done and the th- those you have promised to do, that we may have the joy you have promised. As we worship you, strengthen us so that we may always do your will and so bless you in the world you have made. Amen. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship.
to invite the ushers forward to assist us with the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Tears are falling, hearts are breaking. How we need to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers as we pray together, please come and join me. Eternal God, it is an awesome thing to think of you taking on flesh and blood, becoming one of us. And calling us to yourself to be one with you and with each other. Father, we bow before you today in adoration and praise because of your great love for us, for all that you have done for us. Father, we acknowledge how often we have ignored, even rejected your love. And we pray today that you will forgive us and assure us of your forgiveness. Father, we hear you calling us to come to you with all the things that burden us. And in this moment, this is what we do. We pray today for people who are grieving. For some, the grief is, is very fresh. For others, it has been grief for a long time. For some, it is this time of the year that makes the grief and the loss that much more intense as during these days of holiday in which we think about family and we are reminded of that empty chair, empty room, 
missing so deeply ones that we love. Comfort our broken, grieving hearts. Father, we pray for all who are struggling with issues of health. We ask for your healing grace upon Priscilla Waltz, Vesta Mullen, upon Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, Bill Roski, upon Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, upon Alton Shea, Isla Shea, upon Dick Gould, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds today. Bring your healing grace to bear on each person and whatever their need may be. And bring healing. Father, we pray for our world. Our world that is around us and our world that is far beyond us. Even though we are Many months from the next Royal Family Kids Camp, we pray today for the preparation and the planning that is already happening for this camp. We have been so thrilled to see how you have worked in the lives of campers and counselors and staff people at the camp. And we pray that in 2015, more of the same will happen. We pray for the campers who feel so loved and secure during camp, but go home to very different circumstances. We ask your protection upon them. And may they continue to remember how much you love them. Father, we pray for the larger world, and we continue to pray for the people who have been most affected by the Ebola virus and continue to be. We ask for your healing grace. For We pray for, for an end to this virus, to an end to this epidemic. And we pray that you will bring peace to all who are grieving because of it and healing to all who are suffering from it. And Lord, we, we are so burdened about the circumstances that so many of our brothers and sisters face in other places of the world, and today we think of Sudan, churches that have been demolished, Christian literature confiscated, Christian workers deported. We see the work of the evil one, but you are greater. And we know that you are at work, whether we can see it or not. We pray for strength for our brothers and sisters, and courage, and may they be overwhelmed by the support of Christians around the world that they might feel and sense hope in the midst of circumstances that really feel like despair. Father, thank you for meeting us in this place today. Thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to you to your Son, to your Spirit, as we continue in worship, as we offer our prayers in the name of Christ, the incarnate one in human flesh. Amen. Our, our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. <laughs> this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. There are a couple of things I just want to highlight that are in your bulletin. You'll notice that the has the holiday services on the back of the insert. Next week, we begin a s- four Sundays of just having one service at 10 o'clock. I suspect those of you who are students may not be around next weekend, but just take note of that. Next Sunday, one service, 10 o'clock. Uh, tonight at 5, we are hosting a, a sort of a Messiah sing-along. We're going to we have music for you. There will be some solos as well, but we'd love to have you join as be a part of this, uh, this amazing uh, musical piece that Handel wrote years ago and inspires us. And uh, for college students, and I suspect anyone else who wants to come, uh, they're going to be going to the uh, nursing home, the Absolute, to sing carols this afternoon. And you see information there in the bulletin about that. There are lots of other things going on. You can read those, but uh, I'll let you read those on your own. Take a minute and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Now, those of you who saw Grayson run up here might have been wondering, what in the world is he doing? Well, there's a reason. He, he knew he was coming to help me today. So he was ready. You're excited, aren't you? This is Grayson Cox. And um, what have you got there? It's trains. Trains. Do you like trains? Yeah. I thought you did. How many trains do you have? One, two. You have two with you. How many do you have at home? Earlier, he told me 10. <laughs> do you go to school? Yeah. Where do you go to school? I go to preschool. You go to preschool. And you go here to preschool, don't you? Go to teachers. Yeah, who's your teacher? Um, Mrs. Dover. Mrs. Dover, yes. Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't ask who. You just said, do you have any others? Yes. That's right. So I see you here a lot, don't I? Because your mommy works here, doesn't she? Yeah. It's kind of your second home, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You ready to go back and sit down? Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Thanks very much. Let me ask you a question. What if I said to you, This little boy is the son of God. You're like, okay, yeah. (laughs) I think we sometimes miss the reality of God being human. That when we see little children running around here, little babies... We may hear them crying. We hear children talking, doing things. You're just going about your day. If you lived in first century Palestine, one of those little kids could have been the son of God. It's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to imagine. But it's the reality of what this whole Christmas thing is about. That God was a little baby. And was a toddler and went to preschool. If they had preschool. I don't know if they had preschool. 
He went to grade school and high school and all these things. You see, when we think about the incarnation, when we think about Christmas and the coming of Christ, it, it reveals to us the otherness of God. Now, we tend to think of the otherness of God as God's greatness. We talk about God being sovereign, and there's no one else who is even close to being the ruler of all, the creator of all that exists. We think of God in that way, as this huge bigness. And that's how God is different from us and every other God that people worship. He can do things nobody else can do. But the reality is, Christmas is telling us that the most profound revelation of God to us is not how big he is, but how little he is willing to become. And I I have a hard time really grasping that. That God is actually in human flesh. That God somehow became an embryo and ultimately was born just like you were born and I was born into this world. Now, as we think about the the incarnation and the otherness of God and what we see in Jesus, one of the most fascinating things about the coming of Christ and, and Christ in flesh is that it reveals God's willingness to be humble. Philip Yancey says that really up until Scripture, there's very little written in secular literature that, that understands humility as positive. It's a negative word. Because humility means you take the back seat, you let other people go ahead of you, you get sometimes walked on. It means you're vulnerable, you're weak. And we tend to live our lives trying to do everything but be humble. You know, we... we like to think we're humble, but then we also say, you know, there's nobody who is more humble than I am. And then we've kind of blown it once we do that. But, you know, he's, he's truly humble. God, God as humble. The sovereign of the universe, the creator of all things, reveals himself in humility. Here is God in flesh as a little baby. As a little boy who likes to play with trains and goes to preschool. Who has to be helped. Can't cross the street by himself. You think about, as someone said, the the angels from heaven watched Mary change God's diaper. What? It's not just the birth of Jesus. It's everything surrounding it. It's leading up to it. The angel comes to Mary. And and God could have said, Mary, I want you to bear this child. And you have no choice in the matter. This is what you're going to do. I mean, God could certainly do that. He is the almighty God. But instead, the angel comes to Mary and says, look, here's the deal. God would like for you to bear his child. And it's going to mean great joy and deep sorrow. It's going to mean that people are going to look at you and they're going to misinterpret what what's happened to you. It doesn't matter. You can talk to your blue in the face. No one's going to believe that the child you're bearing is God's child. And the angel says to Mary, in essence, so what do you think? Are you up for it? God doesn't demand. He asks. And the same with Joseph. The angel comes to Joseph. And Joseph's between a rock and a hard place. Trying to figure out what to do with this situation. And the angel says. Okay Joseph here's the deal. Here's what's happened. It amazes me Joseph is so responsive. But the angel doesn't demand that Joseph do this. He simply says. Are you up for it? Will you do it? 
What kind of God does that? This is not the God we read about in the other ancient literature and myth stories around Israel. This is not the kind of God that we would invent ourselves. But this is our God. J.B. Phillips says that if we were to create this scenario on our own and we were to make this up of God coming into the world in some way, we would probably do it one of two ways. Either we would have a God who was so powerful that he really wasn't human at all. He just pretended to be. It's sort of like Superman. You know, where Superman is really not a human being, he's from Krypton. But, you know, when he takes off, when he puts on his glasses, no one knows that. Which that's always been something I'm thinking, so now no one knows who I am. What is that? You know, that's just craziness. But anyway, that's beside the point. I, I digress. Um, but, you know, you, he, he, he's not really a human being. He looks like he's a human being, but he's really not. He is this superpower who can do what he wants. Or we would create a real human being, but he would be so unhuman, uncommon, because he would be so spiritual and such a holy person that we'd have no connection to him. It's sort of like the images of of art through the centuries, particularly in the Renaissance art, where you you see the Jesus and, and Mary painted with these yellow glow globes around their heads, right? I mean, they're trying to identify them as being special and holy. And, and we would create it that way if it were up to us. We'd, ha- we'd have this human being who was just so awesomely spiritual that we have no connection to them in any way, shape, or form. And yet here is God not choosing either of those options, but truly becoming a human being. A human being who understands everything about life like we do. When he's in the carpenter shop, he smashes his thumb with a hammer and it hurts. A human being who, as a little child, plays with his friends. As a little child, has to learn his ABCs and his numbers. As a little child, maybe a girl down the street has a crush on him, maybe vice versa. He's like you and me. Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews tells us that he, we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand us. He's gone through everything we've gone through, Period. That means it kind of excludes our desire to make excuses with God. We want to say, well, God, I know I struggle with manipulating people, but you just don't understand. Yes, I do. Lord, you know, I I really wrestle with materialism and greed, but you don't really understand what it's like to wrestle with that. Yes, I do. I'm so deeply hurt, I have got, I'm going to get back at them, and, and there's nothing, you know, it's, it's the right thing to do, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to seek revenge, and, and you, you just don't understand what it's like to be hurt like that. Yes, I do. Anything you can think of that's happened in your life, Jesus understands that. Because he became one of us. C.S. Lewis says, I, I really can't believe, he said, in fact, he said, it's, it's actually repulsive to me to think that there were things that Jesus didn't know and he had to learn. And people say, well, Jesus knew everything. He'd have to learn anything. He said, I don't think so. And then he wouldn't be human if he'd have to learn anything. He said, I think when the, when the question, when he asked the question, who touched me? He asked it because he really wanted to know. This is God in flesh, in humility. And in this humility, we find a God who is, who is really embracing the role of underdog in our world. 
You know, in, a, in, our, in our world, we, we have a tendency to, you know, and especially in America, we tend to root for underdogs. Uh, you think about in sports, we, uh, we, you know, unless it's your team that's playing, most of the time we get excited and kind of get caught up in action when a team that's not supposed to win does. And in our society and just in general culture, we, we love these stories of people who are born into poverty and, and work their way up to wealth. And, and we admire that and we root for people like that. And here is God saying, I'm an underdog in this world. I mean, everything about God's Christ's circumstances, everything about the life of Jesus is as an underdog. He has no advantage. He doesn't born into privilege. He's not born in a palace. He's not even born in probably a middle-class home. He's born to common peasant people in an obscure village among obscure people. And he lives most of his life in obscurity. There is nothing about his birth or his life that says, well, of course, he, people loved him because he was born into privilege. Exactly the opposite. And it's not that he's just born into it, but his whole life is wrapped around being for the people in our world who we look at and view as underdogs. When Mary, after Mary uh, hears from the angel, has this vision from the angel, she goes to visit her, her cousin Elizabeth. And there she, she sings this song in the first chapter of Luke's gospel. And a part of that song, the Magnificat, says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. It's just one of the places where we find God saying, those of you who feel like you are worthless, those of you who feel vulnerable and marginalized and excluded, I'm here for you. I'm about you. I'm not here to to continue the way that you think about success. I'm here to turn all of it on its head. I'm here to give hope to the hopeless. And one of the ways that he does that, one of the ways that we understand that is that in Christ, there is this sense, as Philip Yancey talks about, there is a sense of God now becoming approachable. You know, in our, in our world, we have a tendency to motivate out of fear. You know, it's just part of our existence. We're afraid of being caught, so we tend to not drive 85 on the 60-mile-an-hour highway. You never know who might be waiting for you around the bend, sitting in the little middle section of the median of the road. We're, we're afraid of being punished, so we obey our parents and the people in authority over us. We're afraid of failure, so we study for tests and we turn in our papers. And we motivate with fear because it works, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things in our lives that we do, if we really think about it, because we're afraid of something. And that's the way most of the religions of the world operate. They operate out of a spirit of fear, that the gods are, are just waiting to, to jump on you if you do something wrong. And there are lots of people even in, Christianity, who believe God is that way. And there's certainly true that God makes demands on us and God warns us. But what we find when God reveals himself most clearly, it's not about fear. It's about trying to help us see him as approachable. As I was pondering that idea this week, I thought back to when I was in in, uh, junior high, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, and uh, science class. I I don't know how else to describe my science teacher, Mr. Kimsey, I think his name was, but he was crazy. I mean, I have a lot more sympathy for him now, 
on, I'm on this side of it than when I was a student. But that's, I, it's crazy. I mean, he'd yell at us. He'd throw things at us. He, he would kick kids out of class. I remember one time they slammed a kid against a locker in the hallway. Probably stuff you couldn't get away with now. Because um, it's been a few years back since I was in junior high. But he, he was nuts. And his whole classroom was, he, he motivated us by fear. You know, nobody, if you had any sense at all, would ask a question. No one would say, I don't understand, because you'd get yelled at. And it was this intimidation was the whole reason, whole way that he operated his class. Across the hall was my social studies teacher. And I had him for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And his perspective was exactly the opposite. He was always trying to think of ways of engaging us with him and in what we were doing. And so, you know, we had, we, we do historic reenactments and we played Jeopardy and, and we do, um, we, we did video recording. And this was a long time ago where that wasn't common like it is now. Um, and, and we, you know, we did political debates and he loved us asking questions. He'd prod us to ask questions, and, and he would ask us about our lives. In fact, I remember lots of times, especially he was a big baseball fan. I remember during the playoff season, you know, he would be, he'd talk to us for a while about baseball and, you know, our teams. And, and we'd, you know, we'd spend some of the class just talking about that kind of thing, and he engaged us. And it's not any wonder that I hated science and I love social studies. And I suspect there were probably some conversations in the faculty lounge. Schmidt, you're letting those kids be way too approachable. You're letting those kids get away with way too much. You're, getting too, you're letting them get way too familiar with you. That's going to that's gonna come back to bite you. You're taking a huge risk. And we probably did take advantage of them sometimes. We probably didn't stick to the subject as much as he might have wanted. But I can tell you, it was one of the people in my life who gave me a desire to want to learn. And it was a risk he was taking. There's not a lot of risk involved in fear. You just make people do what you want them to do. And God could have done that for us, but he doesn't. Instead, he becomes, well, actually, he reveals himself, what he's been all along, the great risk taker. God takes a risk when he creates human beings. Because I think he has a fairly good idea. It's not going to go exactly the way he wants it to. He takes a risk when he identifies himself with frail human beings like Noah and Abraham and Samson, he takes a huge risk by saying to these, this ragtag group of slaves, okay, you're going to be my people, and through you, everybody else is going to understand me. He takes a huge risk in God becoming flesh. Think of just, just the physical risks of God becoming flesh, of of pregnancy, the risk that can, things that can happen to little babies and children. He takes a huge risk in being vulnerable. But it's because God is about relationship, not demands. God doesn't create us so he can manipulate us. He creates us so we can have relationship with him, so we can know his life in us, and we can be all that he created us to be, and we can know the fullness of his joy in our lives. And and you can't do that by intimidation. You can only do that through love and through risk and vulnerability. I sometimes wonder if one of the reasons the incarnation is difficult for us to really grasp is because part of us, when we love the fact that God is approachable and in all the ways in which God has humbled himself for us and takes these risks for us, but something in us actually kind of prefers distance. Because if God is distant from us, then maybe we can live our lives the way we want to 
a little bit more. We only have to think about God when we're in places like this or maybe when we're reading our Bible or saying a quick prayer. But the rest of the time, God is out there and we're here and we can can live how we want to. And so God being so close to us is actually a little bit intimidating to us. I think we wrestle with, with God being so much with us. And so we find ways to distance God, even subtle ways. And I, I love the, the Christmas carol, Way in a Manger. It's one of my favorites. But I have to tell you, when we sing the second verse, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I don't think so. I mean, if that baby doesn't cry, that's not a baby, that's a doll. Babies cry. Babies cry for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes you spend a long time trying to figure out why they're crying. Babies cry. But to write about Jesus not crying sort of gives us this sense that he's really not exactly like us. But he is. And there is this intimacy with us. You may have heard in some form uh, Kierkegaard's story of trying to talk about the incarnation. He talks about a king who was out one day among the people and he saw this young woman who he just immediately fell in love with. And he w- wanted her to be his wife, to be his queen. And he debated what to do about that. I mean, he could go with his soldiers and sit, go to her and say, look, you're going to be my queen. I'm the king. Do what, you have to do what I say and take her home. But Really, what kind of relationship would that be? He thought about maybe pretending to not be the king and, and convincing her to be his wife. But again, that seemed like that might backfire on him, the duplicity of that. And he realized the only way he could really do this was because he wanted her to love him the way he loved her. The only way to do that was to put aside his royalty and become a peasant. And that's what he did. Became a peasant, lived among the people. Until, and he built a relationship with her until eventually she came to love him the way he loved her. I suspect if the people of the village figured out who he was in the middle of that, it would have scared them to death. I think it would have made them uncomfortable because we know how to respond to kings. We don't really know how to respond to kings who are trying to act like common people. It worries us a little bit about what exactly is going on here. It makes us uncomfortable because we don't know how to react around them. Earlier this week, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, Will and Kate, visited New York City. They did what royal people do. You know, spend time with the president, Vice President, spent time with the Clintons, other people, the World Bank, went to a professional basketball game and rubbed shoulders with Beyonce and Jay-Z and, you know, all these famous people. And, and even when Kate went to the preschool in Harlem, cameras, security, crowds, and every time they got in and out of a car, people were there swooning over them. And every time they went in and out of a building, people were there swooning over them. What do you think people would do if they borrowed someone's car, drove to a Walmart, wearing jeans and a sweatshirt, and went in, picked up a grocery cart, and just made their way around the store? You know, picking up some sinus medicine, roll paper towels, a little yogurt, a couple boxes of Lucky Charms. They go to the deli counter, they order, I don't know, a pound and a half of salami and half a cup of potato salad. And then they, they go and wait for the next checkout line to open up and they go through and they process their stuff. I, I wonder, would the person at the door ask to see their receipt as they're leaving like they do us sometimes? I think people would be a little bit freaked out by that. Probably think it's a, either stunt doubles or a publicity stunt. But it couldn't really be them. And if it was them, we wouldn't know exactly what to do with it. The whole point of of them coming somewhere and us following them is because they're royalty. 
I mean, who's going to take pictures and cheer if you and I walk out of some building? Right? Big deal. But them, that's a whole other thing. And I think something in the back of our minds wants to believe that maybe we'll get a little something of what they have. And if you have that kind of power and wealth, you want people to know. I mean, that's the point of having it, right? And here is God who has all of it shunning it, letting it go. Because he wants closeness with us, not distance. And the reason God does this, what's behind and underneath God becoming flesh, God being born as a baby, just like you and I are born as babies, is because we're sinners. It's because we're sinners, we're lost, we're broken, and we need to be healed and fixed and redeemed. And that's why God does it. The angel says to Matthew, or says to, to uh, Joseph, if you are willing to come on board with this, when this child is born, you name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God with us to save us from our sins, to make us whole, to make us fully human, to fill our lives with joy, to give us life, to set us free. And God does this not because we are so redeemable, because we're so great and we're so deserving. It's exactly the opposite. It's because we need redeeming. It's because we're unworthy, undeserving. But God loves us. So the question, was Jesus just like every other baby? The answer, yes and no. He is fully God. But he is also fully human. And I wonder, like you may wonder, what was it like for Mary and Joseph to watch this little baby grow and develop and learn Knowing that something was different. You wonder. I I like the way Mark Lowry describes that in his song, Mary, Did You Know? As he asks this series of questions, as she looks at this little child, does she know who this baby really is? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered would soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would Calm a storm with his hand. Did you know that your baby boy 
has walked where angels trod, and when you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leave, the mute will speak, the praise. baby boy was Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I Take a moment of silence to ponder God in flesh for you and for me. stand for the benediction. I wanted to let you know that the absolute called uh, during the service, and uh, actually they have some issues up there this afternoon, so we will not be going caroling there if you're planning to do that. I just want to make you aware of that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.